Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Last week, we kicked off the Advent season, right, with an invitation to allow God to interrupt some of our misplaced hopes and make room for the true hope in God's kingdom. If you were here last week, that's what we started walking through uh, as we started this new series in Advent called God's Anticipated Hope for Us. And we highlighted last week that Advent is the chapter in God's big story as we read the scriptures that anticipates the arrival of his kingdom through the incarnation of Jesus. This beautiful reminder for us, even though we know that that story took place a couple of thousand years ago, the reminder for us is that God can enter our lives, your life, my life, our, our, our culture, our society, but particularly our lives in fresh ways. That's such a beautiful reminder that we get through the Advent season. We can say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And uh, we're going to jump back into a scripture from, uh, from the Apostle Paul in the first century to a, to a church in Rome that was struggling with an issue. And out of that issue, um, we, we, we learned some things about God's kingdom. And so if you've got your Bible, turn to chapter 14 in Romans, or you can follow on the screen if you're watching at home. It's on the screen as well, or maybe you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, chapter 14 of Romans, uh, we read these words, and we're going to read the, the fuller text today. And um, here's what Paul says to this church. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, and we read this last week, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. God, we just we pause right now and we want to invite you um, to grab our attention. We just surrender our scattered thoughts and invite you to bring clarity to our minds and our hearts, God. Regardless of, of, of where we are today in our spiritual journey, um, we want to be open to, to your words to us. In your name, amen. Uh, you know, we started talking about this last week, that Paul in, in Romans, or in this church in Rome, encountered this Jewish-Gentile conflict. This wasn't uncommon. In fact, it was something, a, a, a similar con- a conflict between Jews and Gentiles was happening in another church in Galatia for different reasons. But, you know, two groups of people come together, baggage, background, all that kind of stuff, like junk is going to happen, right? And so that happens in the church too, and it happened in the early church. The Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles were having this conflict because the Jews were stuck on putting part of their hope, we talked about that last week, on food laws, dietary laws that they uh, had from, from, from their traditions and their faith. And Paul interrupts their misplaced hope with some clarity. He says the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. 
And then he highlights three aspects or expressions of God's kingdom that's in contrast to some of the ideas that this church was making a priority. It was the church. It wasn't anybody else. It was happening inside uh, the church community. They were, they were creating other priorities. And he's, he's trying to say, no, no, no. Here are these three big aspects, expressions of God's kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy. And so Paul's giving them another way, a, a better way, God's kingdom way, and they all build into each other. The next couple of weeks, we're going to hit each of, these, each of these three. Next week, we got a guest that's coming. Actually, I'll tell you right now. His name is Kenzo Mabiala, awesome, wonderful person. Uh, he was here about two years ago, and um, I'm excited for him to come and speak about the topic of peace next week. Um, so you'll really enjoy that. But today we're going to talk about righteousness. And this is a biblical word. If you've read through the scriptures, for sure you've come across the word righteousness. It's found all over the Bible. Paul loves to use this word. He's, re- he's used it in, in all of his letters. In the book of Romans itself, he uses it 30 times. Now, in the original Hebrew, and even as it was translated into the Septuagint, to the Greek version of, of the Old Testament, and then even in the New Testament, it can either mean two things, right, be used as righteousness or justice. When you read the word justice in the Old Testament, they're translating the same word when you read the word righteousness. So they're interchangeable in Scripture, especially when you read the Old Testament prophets and when you read the Psalms. Similar thing. Even in the Psalms, it talks about God's righteousness or God's ways or even calling us to righteous ways. And so the idea of righteousness is God's revealed purpose for you and for me. God's revealed purpose for humanity. And that's partly why we're calling this series God's Anticipated Hope for You, because His hope for you is found in His will for you. His hope for you is found in His purpose for you. And also out of this, we get tease out this idea, if this is God's will, if this is God's purpose, then many have also used the word, it's what God expects of us. How do we serve God or become part of God's will? And then you get this idea of acceptance or approval. And if this is true, then how does someone become righteous? How does someone live righteously? Like, if this is the best way to live, if this is the best vision for life, if this is God's purpose for us, then if that's really true, that the God of the universe, you know, shows us this, then the question is, well, how do I enter your righteousness? How do I live righteously? I, a couple of years ago, well, maybe more like 10 years ago, I finished um, a degree at Concordia, and it was a Master's of Arts in Theological Studies. And prior to Concordia, about another 10 years earlier, uh, I did this degree at, at a Christian Bible school. And so it was, you know, like a Bachelor in Theology, and it was a great school, great teaching, solid. But Concordia, they, didn't, they weren't really sure, like, who, like, what is this school? It's not on my accredited list of schools. You can't just come and do a graduate degree here if you've done an undergrad at this, you know, Christian school, right? And uh, so they weren't sure if if I could like if I would meet their requirements. And so I had to take a few prerequisite courses. I had to you know take two or three undergrad courses to become a grad student and take these courses. So I'd be allowed, even allowed, to start like the graduate program. And so there was a little bit of censor, like acceptance, approval, welcome, like, oh, you guys don't welcome me here until I do these two or three things. And go back to the Roman church in the first century, these followers of Jesus, 
the Jews are playing by their old rules. Their prerequisites for qualifications as God's people. Hey, we did this, we ate this, we followed this law and this regulation and this diet. And for the Jew, it was what comes into our mouths is so important that it actually qualifies us also as God's people. But the Gentiles had no framework for this. The gospel didn't demand it. But here are these two, Jew and Gentile, both coming to Christ, both part of the church, and Paul has to clear up what righteousness meant, what God's will and God's purpose for them was. And on what basis, on what basis did God accept them into his family and become part of his family? And so these Jews and Gentiles, both in the church, but like, on what basis can they worship together and come together and, and call themselves brother and sister and say, we are part of God's family? And then what does that look like to live out every day in their everyday life? And this became so real when they came to the table, right? Because, you know, uh, worship is one thing. Hey, we're singing a song, we're listening to a hymn. Um, but then they come to the table and they pull out all their food. They bring their stuff to the potluck. And then the Jews are like, I can't eat that. I can't even sit at a table with that food there. Can you please remove that from the table? Otherwise, I'm going to have to go to another room. And Paul's like, what is going on? How has this happened? And it gets really real at the table. And, and I want you to understand something. Your view, my view of God's righteousness is seen in my view of people. If, if you, if you want to kind of understand your view of people, probably should also look at your view of God's righteousness or the qualifications you accept people demonstrates your understanding of how God accepts you. And this was getting real at the table in Rome. Here's uh, verse 1 in chapter 14. Paul says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. The Jewish understanding of God's acceptance of them and his anticipated will for them was bound up in Torah and food regulations. But Paul would say, no, that's not a gospel issue. God's no longer accepting you because of that. In verse 14, Paul says to them directly, to the Jew, he says, I'm convinced, I'm per fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. When he's speaking about this food. And then to the, to the Gentile in verse 15, the second half of verse 15, he says, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Now he's telling the Gentiles, listen, there's people at the table here. At least be mindful. Like, one out of the five things is really bothering them. Maybe just take it out. Bring it home as a leftover. Don't leave it at the table. Don't destroy. Don't destroy someone else for whom Christ died for. Don't let that become an obstacle, a stumbling block, a an injury in their faith, in their life. And Paul clears this up when he says, verse 17, right? God's kingdom is not about food or drink, eating or drinking, but it's about righteousness, his first word. And here's the first clue to fulfilling righteousness. We just read it in verse 15. This first clue of what it means to be accepted by God. And it's 
the end of verse 15, right? He says, do not by your eating destroy someone whom, for whom Christ died. For whom Christ died for. Paul is speaking to these Gentiles and saying, the people across the table from you, Christ died for them. That's the basis of their acceptance. That's the basis of your acceptance. And it points to, I love this phrase that I started to come around to understanding better over the last few years, is not that it's, it's my faith that saves me. It's the faithfulness of Jesus that saves me. And I put my trust in him, in his faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus to God's work, to God's purposes, to the fulfillment of God's story and the story of Israel. Think about verse 15, right? For whom Christ died, Jesus went to the cross, faithfully fulfilling God's plan for humanity. He went to the cross. He died for you, for me. He died for that, for that Jew and that Gentile. That's the faithfulness of Jesus. In the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews. That's Jesus serving God's purposes. He's becoming a servant. He became a servant for the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs, Abraham and others, might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Jesus became a servant. And we, we read this in the Gospel of Mark that, that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and become a ransom for many. Jesus was faithful to God's mission. Jesus was faithful to God's purpose. Jesus became a servant so the Jews could understand the fullness of God's picture and so the Gentiles could also become part of God's family. That, Jesus served that mission. He was faithful to that. So God's coming kingdom, inaugurated by Jesus, was the source of their righteousness. Not their food. Not their regulations. So you and I, Here's the beautiful thing here. We become righteous. We don't manufacture it with regulations. We don't manufacture it with religious duty. We don't manufacture it even with all the great, wonderful things that we do together here in our church community that we call worship on a Sunday morning. We become righteous not by those things. We're righteous or we become righteous because of God's gift in His Son, Jesus. That's how one becomes righteous. That's what Paul was, wanted to clear up here, what God's kingdom is about, how someone gets into God's kingdom, how someone lives into God's kingdom, how someone experiences God's kingdom. It's God's gift in Jesus. And then it's affected, that, that righteousness is affected or made possible or made real in his death and resurrection. Remember, for whom Christ died for and how Christ served both the Jew and the Gentile, all of us. And Gentile is just a word for non-Jew. And if you're not Jewish today, you're a Gentile. So that's just all of us. <laughs> and it's all apart from the law and apart from regulations. And we can discover and experience the righteousness of God. Why? Because of Jesus' faithfulness. Because of Jesus' faithfulness. Even today in the church, when we, when we try and help someone understand like there's nothing you can do to be saved or to come to know Christ and so but what we say we say you know if you just put your faith in Christ sometimes we even make faith the work the thing that makes us righteous no it's the faithfulness of Jesus to God's mission that made it possible and when we discover that and trust in that 
and get rooted in that, we discover the righteousness of God. And in one act, he serves, as we read here, the Jews and welcomes the Gentiles. What Paul gets at, if, if Paul was kind of saying this today, I could imagine him saying, don't you realize who Jesus died for? He died for both of you. He died for all of you. He died for all of us. And I can hear Paul saying, don't ruin this for the people he died for. Don't create an obstacle for them to experience God's kingdom just for the sake of food. Now, we could replace that with a few other things in our day. We don't have time to like, unpack what that all looks like. But see, if Christ died to make them righteous, food could not do that. Right? If Christ died to make us righteous, a regulation can't do that. And so, when, so if you're a follower of Jesus today, when you, welcomed, when you welcomed God's kingdom into your life, or maybe one day you're tracking with us, and maybe one day, I pray one day, you do welcome God's kingdom into your life. It happens when you put your faith or trust or align yourself with Jesus, with his faithful work that was already done on the cross. That makes someone righteous. And that gets that person or you and me into God's purposes. Nothing we can do. So we can become righteous because of the faithfulness of Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing, because Paul doesn't leave it there. And sometimes we also get so concerned that someone might like do something or to try and earn God's favor that we say, like, don't do anything, don't do anything. And we, 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 we take away effort and action and all that stuff. And it's like, you know what, like say a prayer, put your faith in Jesus, then sit back and realize God's done it all. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul doesn't just call us just to that. No, here's the beautiful thing. Once someone becomes righteous, they can grow in living righteously. So you move from becoming righteous to living righteous. Someone can become righteous so they can live righteous. It's never the other way around. You don't live righteous to become righteous. But you can become righteous and then begin living righteously. That's the, the flip side to what Paul means when he says that God's kingdom is about righteousness. Saying that God's kingdom or his will or his purpose finds expression as you and I live in faithful response to Jesus. As we begin living in faithful response, response to his faithfulness. Right? The one who serves Christ, Paul says, is acceptable to God and has human approval. In other words, this is the kind of life that God is pleased with when we also serve him. He says that later on in verse 18. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Anyone who now responds to what Jesus has already done has been faithful to God's purpose and mission. When we respond to him and serve him, we end up discovering what that means to live righteously and be part of God's family. Now you might say, well, wait a second. Doesn't that sound like now I'm earning something? How is this all different from it depending on me? Well, Paul adds, right, at the end of verse 17, God's kingdom is about righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the, God's very presence and power that empowers you and me to live into his life and his purpose. In other words, it's not fully dependent on us. He empowers us. So it's this life now that's evidenced in God's people who walk in the Spirit. A really great New Testament 
scholar, his name is Gordon Fee, he, he, he describes it this way, I'll put the quote on the screen, he says, righteousness finds expression as one lives in the Spirit. So the righteousness of God, God's purposes, God's justice, God's vision for you and for me, finds its expression as one lives in the Spirit. You'll be hard-pressed, I'll be hard-pressed to, to, to live out the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the purposes of God, if I don't live in the Spirit, if I don't lean on God's Spirit. And so this is where the shift comes, from the faithfulness of Jesus to our faithful response to Him, from becoming righteous because of the faithfulness of Jesus, and we put our faith in what He's done, and then to living righteously. What does righteousness look like? Oh man, we could like... We can try and paint this picture of righteousness and we wouldn't have time to really describe the fullness of God's will for your life and my life. And it's a whole bunch of things, but Romans 14 gives us a little bit of a kernel in it because in, in verse 15, it's, it's not on the screen, but he says, he says to them negatively, like he says, hey, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, he says, you're no longer acting in love. Or another version might say, you're, not only, you're no longer walking in the way of love. And so if we flip that and say it positively, what does it mean to live righteously? What, what would our, our lives, like what would righteousness expressed in our life look like when the Spirit empowers us? And it's, it's the start of it. It's walking in the way of love. Not a, not a, a you know, a war, just a warm, fuzzy, um, you know, sentimental love. But the kind of love we talked about earlier this fall, this love of we're rooted and established in the love of God expressed in his son Jesus. Because righteousness in the Old Testament and throughout the scriptures can also be translated as justice. And when you think about justice, justice demands love. It's hard to pursue justice without an understanding of love. Because you can look at another person that's different than you or look at another person and, and, and unless, like how do you treat them justly? How do you even define what justice is if love is not behind it? So when we just for a second say, oh, let's, let's not use the word righteousness, let's use the word justice, all of a sudden we realize that needs a lot of love. So when Paul says walk in the way of love, it's because justice is a lived righteousness and in the most simplest way, the kernel, the start of it is that we're walking in the way of love. And now you go back to the Torah and the prophets, and they have a whole bunch of stuff to tell us about love, about justice, about treating one another, about reconciliation, about looking after the oppressed and the poor and the orphan and the widow. There's a picture of righteousness and justice all over the scriptures, all over the scriptures. Now, here's something that sometimes happens among Christians. They freak out when you say words like justice. And, and, and they kind of like call you on something. They're like, well, that's just a social gospel. It's not a, a true gospel. And it's because they've separated. They're, they're afraid. Again, back to like this idea. If we do justice work, then it's only social. Or some people will say, that's justice without Jesus. Or that's humanism, right? And, and you know what? For, for some good reason. Sometimes we might say, wait a second. What's the purpose of this? You know, like, why? we're just going to feed people. We're just going to help them. We're just going to, you know, come alongside the orphan. And, say, and people will call that a social justice or justice without Jesus. And you know what is so interesting? And, and uh, let, let me just clear this up. By the way, I'm, I'm only for justice with Jesus. 
and, and I'm only for a social justice that's combined with, a, a, sorry, a social gospel that's inside the whole spiritual gospel. You can't separate them. In North America, we tend to separate this stuff. You go to another part of the world and watch the church in action, there's no dividing line between spiritual and social. They're, just, they, they're in love with Jesus, following God, and they're loving their neighbor, and it's all part and parcel. We tend to divide it because there's been these intellectual discussions that have made us wonder if we can, you know, how this stuff works together. But when I've like, read through some of the history of how justice movements have come about, even humanism, and humanism is this idea that we can do good stuff without God. Humanism was something that was developed as early as the 12th and 13th century to try and uh, you know, help people understand even uh, the fullness of who God is. But when you think about justice today, it's adopted, adopted Christian values developed over centuries, modeled by spirit-empowered Christians. Think about that. The world didn't fully see and know what justice was. The movement of Jesus in the first century and ongoing over centuries started to shift and change. Now, over time, people started to leave the idea of Jesus and God behind and said, oh, I love this justice piece. But what, what we do, we get in these conversations with people and we fight with them and we don't recognize, instead of fighting with them, we could say, well, you know where, where this comes from? You know where this was developed? And look at the early church and the table fellowship that they slowly developed. The care for orphan and widow, the sacrificial generosity and compassion, the reconciliation. It was coming out of a group of people that were empowered by the Holy Spirit and rooted in Jesus. Now, here's the thing to be careful about. You and I, we will get crushed under the vision of justice without Jesus. It's hard. It's hard. You can't maintain that. We'll get crushed under that. And if we separate social and spiritual, we'll get crushed under that. But unfortunately, you have atheists and Christians fighting with each other, and atheists want to say, you can be good without God, and Christians, when they see someone who doesn't believe in God doing something good, they kind of like make fun of them. Well, I, that, you're just doing something good, but you don't have God. It's like, just say, hey, that's awesome. You know, that looks like a little bit like Jesus. You, can I talk to you about him? And, and instead of like making it a fight, we can just acknowledge the trajectory of human history and the impact of the gospel. I think we do much better at pointing people to the righteousness of God and, and then admitting I have tried the justice route without Jesus, and oh my gosh, what a burden. What if you told someone that, if you're really honest about that? I try and love my neighbors. Without Jesus, man, it gets really tiring. <laughs> I wonder what my neighbors say about me. <laughs> the church, the church, at its best, is kingdom righteousness, is what kingdom righteousness looks like in action. The church, at its best, is what kingdom righteousness looks like in action. Now, I want to wrap up with this and invite the team to come up. We become righteous because of the faithfulness of Jesus, not on our own. When we respond to his faithfulness, we can then live righteously, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Get that? We 
become righteous because of the faithfulness of Jesus, not on our own. But when we respond to his faithfulness, we then can live righteously, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you know where it starts? I think it starts with where Paul had this conflict with the Roman church. I think it starts right here at the table. Right here at the table. Because it's at the table where we're confronted with how the gospel is lived out in our lives. It's at the table, whether it's a metaphorical table or a real table, where we're confronted with how the gospel is working in our lives. Now, Paul didn't address in this text their interaction with the world. But what he was saying is, you need to apply the truth of God's righteousness to each other first. You need to apply it to each other first. And then you need to welcome each other on the very basis, on the way that God has welcomed you. If you're going to come to the table and there's a, there's a difference that's, that's, that's a regulation di difference, it's a, it's a tradition di difference, it's a baggage difference, it's the way I do things difference, man, you can't allow that to be your qualifying prerequisite of acceptance of that person. Paul is saying, no, when you come together, the very basis in how God has welcomed you is how you welcome that person. That is fulfilling his righteousness. And then it overflows to the world around us. Then it overflows to the world around us. And I was thinking about this, and I don't want to put my brother on the spot, but I will. I'm not going to ask him anything. But, <laughs> but you know, um, many of you guys know this, uh, and some of you it's new to you. And you just see him up here leading worship and my niece and nephew here. But just over a year ago, my brother's wife passed away. And so often in the last year, I'd ask, you know, how are you doing? And people will ask me, how's Jonathan really doing? And I, I can tell you that like, we talk like almost daily, you know, text or call, you know. And sometimes it's so easy to not want to get into like, the vulnerable, messy stuff in those conversations. Because, you know, you don't want to bring that up every moment when you're just on a drive, right? But so often, you know, how are you doing? And it's, it's been incredible for me to watch the righteousness of God received, not manufactured, in a life and even in the middle of difficulty and pain, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, a righteousness lived out. By no means is the guy behind me perfect. I know him. He's my twin. Trust me. I'll tell you stories afterwards when nobody's listening to the podcast. But there's been evidence, evidence, even in the middle of a difficulty, Someone who's responded to Christ's faithfulness and then empowered to live that daily. And the reason I've seen that is because I've seen him reach out to neighbors and still, and still pastor a church and still spend time with people in his church who are also grieving or need support or be a parent and a dad to his kids. And I, and I think that requires a daily dependence. But you know what the difference is 
for you and I and for those who consider following Jesus, we recognize that none of that is a prerequisite for acceptance to God. We can embrace the righteousness of God because of the faithfulness of Jesus. And that's so freeing. But the beautiful thing is it overflows and it becomes a lived righteousness because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's possible. And Advent reminds us that God's kingdom was coming into the world. Advent reminds us that God has come to make us righteous, to make us right with him, and then to show the world his righteous vision for humanity. And if, if that looks anything like what the early church started to show in evidence, even in the messiness of it, Paul had to work through that, the world would stop and say, wow, I, God's righteousness is beautiful. I can't attain it by myself. I can't get into the prerequisite of it, but it's beautiful. I long for that. When the world will long for that, then we can invite them to know that because of the faithfulness of Jesus, they can even enter into it and then begin living it. And we're going to take communion in a moment, but I sense for some of us here today or online, some of us just need to respond to this invitation today. And um, I just want to be really clear for a moment. And, and sometimes I, I don't always uh, lean into a moment like this on a Sunday as much as I should. But I just want to be so clear for, for everyone here and those of you guys watching. You cannot be made righteous on your own. You cannot be made righteous on your own. And you can't live fully into the righteousness of God on your own. But the good news is, is that Jesus was already faithful when the world wasn't. That Jesus was, was already faithful to fulfilling God's plan when the world wasn't. And when we respond to him, when we respond to him, we can enter into the righteousness of God and be made right with him. Because Jesus fulfilled the prerequisites and the qualifications. And then when we enter in and we respond, not on our own basis, our own merit, he empowers you and me to live a faithful expression of God's kingdom. And that gets so exciting. That gets so exciting. As the team sings this next song, or a repeat that we just did earlier, really is, is, a, is, a, is a, a desire to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And so I want to invite you to consider that um, and prepare your hearts for communion in a few moments. And I'll come back up to lead us through that. you took a, a bag of bread and wine today, I'm going to invite you to take it out. And even this is an invitation to the table. And the, you know, the prerequisite for sharing at the table today is, is exactly the same thing we just talked about. It's based on the faithfulness of Jesus. So if your desire, your heart is to, is to follow Christ to be in Christ is to be part of God's work and God's family and God's purposes. Um, putting your faith in Jesus and deciding to align your life into his life under his lordship. That's it. 
and we share this we share this meal together that's part of the beauty of God's kingdom when Jesus was with his disciples leading up to that the day that he would the climactic moment of him fulfilling God's purpose at the cross he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you as you take it give thanks and remember Christ's body broken for us and he poured wine and as he poured that wine he emphasized God's covenant relationship with them and a new covenant he was making and that that's that's what was that's what made possible that's why Paul was saying to the Jew and the Gentile it's not about food or drink it's about what Jesus has already done for you don't destroy someone who's got whom Jesus has died for his blood poured out was a new covenant that would expand beyond Israel so that the whole world could be part of God's blessing of the nations and so as we hold this bread dipped in juice I'm going to just invite you to break it and we're going to in one uh, action take the bread and wine together today we're sitting at the table together I'm so grateful that uh, that we can sit together at this table and there's stuff that um, maybe we look at each other with and we want to measure each other up but the beauty is these elements remind us that we're accepted because of the work of the cross amen let's take this together Father, your kingdom is so wonderful and beautiful. And your purposes are so great and holy. And we acknowledge that standing before you can feel like an immense gap between us. You are God and ruler. And you are true love and holiness. And just by saying that, God, I recognize where I easily fall short. Where I recognizably don't add up to the beauty and goodness and holiness and justice of who you are. Thank you for your acceptance and welcome based on the faithfulness of your son, Jesus who bore the cross and resurrected and ascended. God, thank you that I could be made righteous. But I can rest in the faithfulness of Jesus for it, not my own. And Lord, we want to welcome that beautiful truth and reminder today, but we also want to lean into living out your righteousness. God, you call us to it. The world desperately needs to see your righteousness expressed. And Lord, we also admit that we need the power of your Holy Spirit to live into the life you call us to. 
Lead us, guide us forward. In your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.